What do you think about that? <laughs> Amen is right. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, choir. What a, what a great blessing that is to me and, and I trust to, to all of us as we want to focus in on Jesus this Christmas season. What a great honor and privilege it is for you to to lead us in that. We thank you so much for that. I think uh, the song that I, that I appreciated was that last song that you sang. Um, was, um, how, how, does, how many kings have stepped down from their throne? How many lords have abandoned their home? What a great and glorious truth to consider this time of year. I, I don't want us to take that for granted. That, that Christ has come for us. He has left His throne. He has left His home to come to us. How, how many religions present themselves as ways that you can get to God? Well, you, through this ritual or to get rid of this desire or to obey these commands. And, and if you do these things, then this maybe you might find your way to God. I think Christmas is the opposite, isn't it? It is, is not us finding our way to God, but it is God finding His way to us. I think that's worth celebrating. I think that's worth singing about. And, and I, I thank you so much for, for leading us in that truth that we might worship Him because of that. It's amazing to me that He would do this. It's also amazing that when He came that, that no, one, no one noticed, really. Which is not typically the case when a, when a king is born. I, I don't know if you heard... Uh, but Prince William and, and Kate had a baby. Did you, did you hear that? Uh, <laughs> Prince George, the, I think it is, the, the future king of England. And of course you heard about it. That's all we heard for about six months, it seemed like. Um, over and over again, before his birth and at his birth, and when, what will he be named, and, and what will he look like, and when will he present them, and how, how are they doing afterwards, and it was all about Prince George, and if you didn't hear, if you got away from the television, or the internet, or the radio, you could actually get the Royal Baby Watch app on your iPhone, in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, so the whole world got in this hysteria of this, this king that was to be born. In fact, I read that millions of dollars, or millions of pounds, I guess it would be, was, was bet on the various aspects of this little boy. Would he be a boy or a girl? What would be his name? What day of the week would he be born? And many people placed their wagers on all these things that he got the attention of the entire world. In fact, uh, I read that he added, this little boy added a half a billion dollars to the United King- Kingdom's economy. Isn't that amazing? Half a billion dollars, 500 million dollars. A hundred million was spent on alcohol. Um, so I don't know what that says, um, but uh, but uh, much more was spent on souvenirs and memorabilia. I don't know if you ha- anybody buy anything. Anybody got a little little Prince George mug or bib? Um, my my favorite memorabilia that I saw was, uh, and I don't own this just for clarity. Um, it was designed by Lydia Leith, and it was a, a royal barf bag. So uh, I don't know if you use that when you're done with the alcohol. I don't know how that all works. <laughs> How that comes together, but it, the whole world went crazy. It just went crazy. In fact, one newspaper put it this way. When a new king is born, you can hear the shots of artillery in a 41-gun salute. When a new king is born, flags billow and chapel bells peal, louding, clanging music into the night. When a new king is born, champagne corks stream through the air by the thousands. When a new king is born, 
People stand together and sing choruses in the street. When a new king is born, clouds of euphoria make millions of people feel like they are members of one harmonious family. I think we saw that this year. The amazing thing is that when the King of Kings was born, and the Lord of Lords was born, no one took note. It's quite unlike what we have seen this year, isn't it? In fact, it's simply described here in the Gospel of Luke with these words. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I think if perhaps we weren't so familiar with this story, we would be shocked by the, the meekness of it, the lowliness of his birth, the poverty of his parents or the location of his delivery or the rebuff of the residents of this ancestral town. We think he was probably born in a stable, though the Bible doesn't tell us that. There's no mention of a stable in the Scripture, but we do know he's played in a place in a manger, which is a feed trough. And we also, of course, know there was no room for the inn. The, the place must have been packed and on that day. And that, that perpetual bad guy in all the Christmas plays, the innkeeper must have said, there, there's no room for you here. In fact, I, I read one story of a Christmas play where they, they got a, a little boy who had Down syndrome to play the innkeeper, the role of the innkeeper. And it got to the point of the play when Mary and Joseph arrived and they're just exhausted from their journey and, and they knock upon the door and, and Joseph begins to explain their plight and their situation. And then finally he asks, can we have a room? And the little boy was supposed to say, we're full, use the stable. But he got so engrossed in the moment. He said, we're full, but you could use my room. (laughs) It's a good answer, isn't it? It's perhaps a good metaphor as well. How many people throughout this land don't have room for this king? Don't have room in their lives for him. Justin Martyr, a second century church father, said he's probably born in a shallow cave, which is common for how they kept animals. You think of the lowliness, even of, the, of, of just not the location, but of the birth itself. I, I, I often wonder what it must have been like. I don't know if the, the contractions began, perhaps, as they drew close to Bethlehem, or perhaps once they already arrived. I wonder if she, she told Joseph immediately, or maybe kept it to herself out of not, not, not bother them with another details. He's trying to find a place for them. I, I wonder perhaps if there were tears streaming down her cheeks as, as she felt labor coming on and unsure as to where this baby was going to be born, perhaps just on the side of the road. Where are they going to find room? I, I can imagine the, the hectic search that must have took place and, and all he could come up with is a filthy stable. It was a bad enough place to sleep. I, I don't ever plan to sleep in a stable or a barn and, and I don't have any desire to, but I can't even imagine giving birth there where there's no comfort or doctors or nurses, no mother or no family, just a, perhaps a 13-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy bringing life into this world. And I think we have a tendency to romanticize the birth of Christ. And we sing beautiful songs, and we'll sing it on our Christmas Eve service, Silent Nights. But I, I'm not sure how, how silent that night was. In fact, I appreciate the poem by Andrew Peterson, who said it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry. In the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town... And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold, and little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, 
had no mother's hand to hold. Well, I think perhaps as a man, what must have been going through Joseph's mind, the fears he saw his betrothed endure the pain that had come upon her, the humiliation perhaps he felt of the people's indifference to their situation. I would think of the shame that I would have felt that I can't provide anything better for my betrothed and this new baby to be born than this stable. One pastor put it this way, if we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched, scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to heaven for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet. The trembling carpenter's hands, clumsy with fear, grasped God's slippery son covered with blood. The baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space. His face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night. The question I have as we end our time this evening is why this way? Why, why be born like this? Why not, why not a hospital? Why not a doctor? Why not a, a mother or family? Why not the prayers of a nation? Why, why not the, the interest of the world? Like little Prince George. Why a stable? Why a manger? Though the Bible's not explicit, uh, as I study it, I, I think perhaps that the lowliness of his birth foreshadowed, pointed forward to the lowliness of his life and, and even into the lowliness of his death. In fact, the prophet Isaiah foretold hundreds of years before Christ stepped on this earth that he had come to be despised and rejected by man, a, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He also said he was to be without beauty or majesty. He was to pour out his soul to death. He was to be numbered among the transgressors. Is it not therefore fitting that he who be mocked and ridiculed at the end was unheralded at the beginning? Is it not fitting that he who was stripped naked at death was denied a king's robe at birth? Is it not fitting that he who be buried in a borrowed tomb was born in a stable? I wonder, is it not fitting that he was nailed to a cross, be placed at birth in a manger? The manger on one end of his life, the cross on another, they seem to go together in my mind's eye. They seem to fit. This man who is to wear the clothes of a peasant to be associated with the sick and poor, to have the meek as the disciples, the ground as his bed, the countryside as his home. Nothing, I think, could therefore be more fitting than when this king stepped down from his throne and when this Lord abandoned his home and when he came for a cross that he should be born in a stable and laid in a manger. He will come, of course, to die for us. This whole manger stable, I think, pointed ultimately to the lowliness of his death, the death of a common criminal, not for his sin, but for mine and for yours. He taught us that if we want to be reconciled to God, if we want forgiveness and eternal life, it does not matter if your good deeds outweigh your bad. It does not matter if your bad deeds outweigh your good. 
The problem is we've all turned away from God. We've all gone our own way. And so Jesus went to the cross, friends, not simply to show us God's love, as is commonly told these days, though he did show us God's love in that he went to the cross to be my substitute, to take the penalty of my sin upon himself. And when he took all that penalty and paid it full, my debt was washed clean. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And whoever would bend their knee to King Jesus, whoever would place their faith in this man who came and walked and lived and died and rose again shall have everlasting life and forgiveness from the Father. I think this lowly birth pointed to his lowly death, but it's not only that. I think it also, as we consider lastly, it's an invitation for those to come to him. Because I, I think we might tremble before a throne a little bit, but no, one, no one's afraid to approach a manger, are they? There is no guard there to push us away or no arrogant dignitaries to make us feel unwelcome. I, I think the fact that he was born in this major welcomes people to him. In fact, you think about those who found their way to Jesus. Was it not the persistent widow and the hollering blind man or the bleeding woman or the isolated leopard or the fearful father of a demon-possessed son or the distraught daddy of a dying girl? You think about who he sought out, the, the sick and the sad, the poor and the hurting, the outcast, the reject, the nobody, the sinner. And I tell you this evening, based on the authority of God's word, that he is no different today. The Lord has gone home. The king has resumed his throne. But he has shown us the kind of king that he is and the people that he welcomes. And so I invite you to Christ tonight. I invite you to come to this lowly King of kings and Lord of lords who will accept all who will come to him. Perhaps you don't know this King Jesus. I appreciate what Charles Spurgeon said when he thought of his birth in a manger. He said, come to him, all who are weary and burdened. Come to him, all who are broken in spirit. You are humble in soul. Come to him, all who, are dis who despise yourselves and are hated by others. Come to him, traitor and prostitute. Come to him, thief and drunkard. In the manger, there he lies, unguarded from your touch, unshielded from your gaze. Bow the knee, kiss the Son of God, for he puts himself into that manger that you may approach him. I hope you've approached him. I hope you do again and again and again. I hope that this Christmas celebration is an approach to the Son of God, the Word made flesh who has come to this earth for us. And what is it that we do, Christian, when we come to Christ and we do approach Him? Well, I think we do well to be like the Magi who responded with joyful worship. For the Bible says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. Or perhaps we do well to be like Simeon who responded with heartfelt praise. For the Scripture says, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Or maybe we could respond like the shepherds who left with jubilant praise, for the Bible tells us the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they have seen and heard. You see, I tell you, it's good and fitting what we have done here tonight that we have gathered together to give Him worship and thanks and praise, as did those who first saw this baby who came for us. How many kings will step down from their throne?
for you. How many lords have left their home for you? I know of only one. His name is Jesus. And he is worthy of everything. Will you lay it at his feet this Christmas season? Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. We thank you for this wonderful and glorious time of celebration and worship and praise and thanks. We thank you for this choir who has put their heart and love into this presentation of worship. I trust you are well pleased tonight that you gaze down from heaven upon these, your children, your sons and daughters, and find great delight in this offering that they have laid before you tonight. Certainly we have been blessed by it, and so we thank you that our minds have been refocused on the birth of Christ. Our hearts have been refocused on the work that he has come to do. Our, Our soul has been refocused on the majesty of this one we call the Son of God. And so help us to follow him. Help us to love him. Help him to be on our hearts and minds and even on our tongues this Christmas season. And ultimately, help our faith and love for him and for you to abound more and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.